0: Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome to the 65th episode of the PEM podcast, Psychic Eye Mystery Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Laurie, with my noisy bird in the background and my fabulous schmabulous shmad- co-host, Sandy, my sister, my partner in egg-throwing crimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, why are you bringing that up? Well, let us let us share with the audience why you're bringing that up. So, uh, so like last week we were having just a conversation about the podcast and about, you know, um, the various ways these killers are, you know, killing people. And I said, okay, so, uh, the cards on the table, if you had to kill someone, what weapon would you choose? And he goes, I would kill myself before I had to kill other people. And That's I'm true. like, <laughs> my response is, How many weapons do I get to choose from? How long can the sword be? Can I use spikes? Throwing stars. So I chose eggs. Flamethrower? Like, what do I get here? (laughs) Yeah. What are my options? (laughs) I'm like, Sandy's, you know, (laughs) kumbaya. And I'm like... So, like, did we come from the same family? We did not. Yeah, because I'm like, <laughs> you know, if someone's if someone's out to murder me or my family, I am down with it. I am down with your demise, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> You're like, I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> with an egg, with an egg. This will work. Would miss that. Would miss, <laughs> that would miss. right? I have a dozen. <laughs> oh my god hilarious well maybe he would slip and fall and then you know knock himself out yes that out. would totally happen the kind odds of, the of that happening are just astronomical you know <laughs> in your favor astronomically high in your favor I'm, here I'm let a- me throw this banana peel on the floor <laughs> <laughs> hello murderer rapist here's a banana peel.
1: <laughs> all right not to Whoa, encourage. You. I was gonna
0: murder and rape you, but now I'm on the floor.
1: All right, this is not to encourage anyone to. Do you assume, need help getting up. Okay. I have a vicious dog. I have men in my house.
0: A vicious dog. Please do not, do not she consider. Has a guinea pig. Basically. Okay, do not. Dog the size of a guinea pig. You're not helping me. All right, <laughs> let's change subject, shall we? Yeah. Oh yes. God! Thank God your sons live with you, honey. I'd be yes. worried about. You. I have men in the house. Yes. Big strong strapping men. I have a I have a noisy parent. It sounds like a human. That's so, true. You know, yeah. good return. Constant yeah. screeching in the background. So of course, no one would someone would come by my door and be like, pass. On they go. So years ago when I was living in Texas, I was living in a neighborhood that was brand new. Uh, it's like 150 homes, and all of the homes were brand new. And <clears throat> it was um next to kind of a little bit of a sketchy part of town so we were hit constantly with daytime robberies and um my next door neighbor what almost had her house broken into i saw two people standing outside of the house and went outside in front of them and i said what are you doing here and it was a man and a woman and the woman said oh i'm looking for annette and i'm like you know you know that annette annette doesn't live there right and so <laughs> they start kind of walking away. Right. And I'm chasing after them and I'm literally in, fu- in fuzzy slippers, literally in fuzzy slippers. So then I start yelling and chasing them. And I'm like, and you tell all your robber friends not to come back here. And like, just like screaming this, right. So they couldn't get away fast enough. I call the police, please show up. I tell them p- the police officer what happened. And he's trying to suppress laughter because he sees me in my little furry slippers. Right. And he's like, you know, he's like, that's dangerous you don't confront you know people who are trying to break into uh, a house i'm like sir with all due respect nobody fucks with crazy it's true nobody fucks with crazy <laughs> it's true yeah
1: and fuzzy slippers really kind of complete the image so.
0: exactly i mean it yeah. completed the look it right did. yeah so uh mrs kravitz yeah. her house and her fuzzy was slippers. saved yes. yes yes by the neighbor with the fuzzy the crazy lady with the fuzzy slippers
1: so mrs, mrs. kravitz part two
0: Right, yeah. Exactly, exactly. All right, so let's get to it. Let's get to it. So I have a great anecdote uh, this week. I had so many fantastic readings the past ten days. like they've just been really clear, <clears throat> great clients, um very open with their energy. It's just been wonderful. So I was reading for a woman who uh, watches the podcast, so if you're out there, you're gonna know who you are. So hello. Um, and she had asked about an old love of hers, <clears throat> who had passed away. And, um, you know, getting someone who's not related to you into um, sort of the the room, the lobby, okay, where the dead people come is tricky. Because sometimes, sometimes they're motivated to come through and sometimes they're not. They're more motivated if they're related to you, right? Because it's all familial over there. So, family hierarchies are, are key. So, um, anyway, so I reached out to this guy and he, uh, I felt him a little faintly, but he comes in and he shows me a soccer ball. And I, we had already discussed that this woman had a son. And I said, Does your son play soccer? And she starts laughing. She said, Well, we tried to get him into soccer, but he just ended up crying. He's five years old. And uh, I said, Okay, well, this gentleman is showing me a soccer ball. And she's like, trying to pull it, pull more out of me. Right. And I'm like, you know, I can't tell you what I'm not seeing. I can only tell you what I'm seeing. So the, the gentleman on the other side starts expanding the view. And I said, okay, so he's showing me a soccer ball and he's, he's showing me an athletic field. And then he's showing me a scoreboard and the score is two, two. And I said, that's important for some reason. And she smiles. And I said, does that mean something to you? And she said, my son was born February 2nd. So the soccer ball was, I knew there was a connection to her son and I was like, maybe he was watching this kid trying to play soccer and crying and, you know, was interested in it. And then, um, uh, I, she had mentioned his mom and I said, um, cause he showed me, um, a necklace with his photo on, um, on the necklace. So it was almost like a photo on, uh, that's lasered onto, mm. uh, metal. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what he showed me. And I said, does his mom wear his face around her neck? So bad that I'm laughing at this, but he, he turned it into a joke. So his mother had his, had some of his ashes put into like a crystal Mm -hmm. and wears that around her neck. But he translated it as mom has my face around her neck. (laughs) I'm like, well, it's better than your ass. Honey. Yeah. That's right. Your ass, my guess.
1: giant big toe is <laughs> Yes, exactly,
0: neck. you know, yeah. that's my hand uh, yeah. middle finger. No, yeah. I'm kidding. Uh, so, uh, so he was honored by that, but he was also kind of poking fun at it a little bit because they can, there's no attachment to their, their bodies at all. You know, once you leave, you leave, that was just a vehicle to get you around while you're down here. But, um, yeah, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was really cool. And then he had mentioned that his mom talks to him kind of constantly, especially in places of worship. And uh, from what I understand, she is Catholic and she regularly goes to church and chats at him. So, um, so it was just a lovely visit from this nice. guy. I That's just really love nice. the scoreboard thing, yeah. you know, two, 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 yeah, two, mention the sun, mention the sun. So I thought that was really cool. Well, I also love um, that
1: he's hearing people talking to him. I mean, it's yeah. Us mortals choosing where we want to have that conversation,
0: but right. he's listening, which I think is well, kind of cool. I think it's I think it's lovely. Mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. absolutely lovely that they can hear everything that we say to them. Um it's just that we have a hard time hearing them because yes. they don't communicate in the way that you and I communicate. <clears throat> it's really right. a telepathic imprint of all sorts of stuff. So mm-hmm. if you couldn't speak, but you could telepathically project a message. That's how communication travels um yes. from the other side. Um So uh, yeah, so I I love the stories when they're like, yeah, I go to the cemetery to visit so and so, and I'm like, well, they follow you to the cemetery. Yeah, right. They're <laughs> like, oh, okay, all right, we're here. We're all the other well, graves. It, it's are. like this i said, it,
1: cool. No, but I think I think it's where you choose to have that conversation, and it, mm-hmm. I think we need to find that connection, that point
0: where. We think there's right. a connection for us it needs to be tactile it's kind yeah. Of, yeah yeah there has to be something where the last remnants of that soul that special person um we can touch it see it go there be near it all of that stuff um yeah but i had a they're, <clears throat> sorry go ahead. they're not at the cemetery <laughs> yeah they're I had a, hanging around you yes hopefully
1: <laughs> well i had a really
0: interesting experience
1: i um i went for a very long walk, I ended up at the ocean, and uh, it was such a beautiful day. And I stood on the sand, and I uh, the sun was beaming, clouds cloudless sky. I could see um, Martha's Vineyard from where I was standing, wow. and I I sent up a prayer to Archangel Michael because I believe he wants to protect me. Of course <laughs> he does. The, and then I sent a prayer up to um, a, a special friend of mine, and I turned around and I started heading back. I had like a it was a four mile walk. So I was turning around, heading back, and I was fiddling with my phone because I wanted to change my music. And <clears throat> so I'm looking down. And all of a sudden, as I'm walking slowly, I walked right through the scent of my friend who had a very distinct
0: cologne, cologne right? that that yeah. he that he wore. Yeah. And should and talk about his cologne all the time, how good cologne, it smelled.
1: It was on him and his chemistry. It was just I think because distinct. you
0: told him that he would bathe in it before you <laughs> two got together for your meetings. Like I have a feeling, like but anyway, just like <laughs> shower in it. <laughs> Do I anyway. smell good? Okay. You're
1: taking away from the story. I walked I smelled his cologne and yeah. I stopped dead in my tracks and I look around. And I'm like, is anybody doing laundry? Like, did I really smell that? And I retrace my steps and I, and it was a dirt road. Like it's not, it's not like yeah. anybody would yeah. have been around. And yeah. I thought that was really cool because it was a
0: confirmation that he had heard my prayer. So for sure for sure for sure yeah absolutely they love if if there's a distinct smell usually it's not even you know honestly I wanted to say perfumey they will waft that around you but it like they do cigarette smoke they do um cigar smoke is a big one um that's just nasty um cigarette smoke cigar smoke pipe smoke um they'll do cologne they'll do perfume so, you know that when I go first, because I'm going to go first, um, you'll know when I'm around, right? Because you'll be like, that smells like Joe Malone. So, <laughs> Joe Malone, <laughs> Joe Malone makes the best cologne. I absolutely love it. And there's an Earl Grey and cucumber scent that is out of this world. I bathe in it. Yes, that is I true. was actually at the library since uh, last week and, you know, I'm typing, uh uh, try, I'm trying to finish this manuscript. I'm hoping I'm going to finish it this week, and I'm like typing furiously. And this woman comes into the area where I am, and she comes on, like over to me, and she goes, and I'm just like startled. Like, what is happening? And she goes, "You smell amazing."
1: <laughs> Break out in a cold sweat,
0: really? Right? <laughs> like, like, hello. <laughs> you know so i like i had to look it up for her she was like what is that write that down so i did it's joe malone if anybody wants a really really beautiful light citrusy kind of scent joe malone earl grey and cucumber. It's to die for so great um okay uh spellbound sandy loves this book i um So spellbound's is interesting. It's my first stab at urban fantasy. And it had been an idea that percolated in my mind for, I don't know, a um, couple of years. Like I think I came up with the idea in 2012, honestly. And it took until 2019, 2020, 2020 to start writing it. Somewhere around in there. Sandy helped with this book tremendously. She was my eagle eye on it. It's a very... It's packed. It's packed with action and stuff going on. It's a really cool concept.
1: Really. Thank just, you. I I love I loved the book. I've read it I think 8 times at this point
0: because I was helping oh my, you edit well, it. yeah, 6 of which were yeah. I'm Edits. Like, please <laughs> read this again and find more typos.
1: Yes. For but me. it's six it's for forced. But it's a <laughs> it's a really fun, thrilling um experience to read. Really cool. Thank you. Really cool. I can't wait for the next book. And I know you hate it when people say that, like, what are
0: you gonna write the next book, but no, I don't I I I don't hate it when people say that. I hate it when people go write faster because I literally am typing as fast as I can. Yes. So it's just, you know, <clears throat> and I get that they won't mean that as a compliment. I absolutely do. It's just um pressure. When you're yeah, exactly. You know, um, so no, I don't I I love it when you say I can't wait for the next one. Okay mm-hmm. good. that is motivation to finish what I'm writing and get to the next one. Excellent. So this, this book, um, I'm actually doing a new series with my publisher, the same publisher Kensington press that publishes the cat killer mysteries. They've asked for a new series. So, uh, I'm doing a spin-off of this world for that one. And that first book is going to be called trinket for, for the taking. And I think that's going to come out in about a year, year and a half, somewhere around in there. Um, a spell to unbind basically is the story of <clears throat> a woman who is uh, cursed with a curse with a spell. And when you become uh, in this world, when you become cursed with a spell, you are given kind of supernatural powers. So you in turn can start casting spells um, and you can imbue everyday objects with certain magical uh, properties. So those are called trinkets. So um, in the world, in this world, in this urban fantasy, the more powerful trinkets are up for grabs. So Esme Belarus is the main character, and she is uh, interviewing for a job as a thief to one of the most powerful um, spellcasters out there. So uh, it's, uh, and she's, you know, thwarted at every turn. There's something always in her way. I did that on purpose because <laughs> um, I just kept thinking about something I heard or read, which was, you know, when you can feel anxiety getting a hold of you because you feel like so many things are out of control. Solve the problem in front of you. So just solve the problem in front of you, and then solve the next problem in front of you. Right, take it one one problem at a time, and so that was sort of the ladder. That I built the entire story around. So Esme kept having problems thrown at her that she had to solve kind of one at a time because they were all well, inter interwoven and linked.
1: But the other aspect to this book is it is also a murder mystery, a rather yeah. gory, gory murder mystery. <clears throat> uh so gird <laughs> your loins, people, if you decide to read the book.
0: <laughs> there are no eggs involved. Yeah, no eggs involved. There is an egg involved. Well, the, the murder scene. There's is... an egg involved. Yes, there is. There is a Fabergeic. Yes, there is. <clears throat> so, um, but the murder scene was told to me by a fellow psychic who did crime scene investigations. And one of the scenes that she visited was, um, the <clears throat> mafia getting even. Um, and the only, it was a dinner party. <laughs> they interrupted a dinner party. Um, and the only person that lived through it was the baby. So, yeah, but uh, that's not what happens in this book. Yeah, no, there's no babies
1: involved in this book. <laughs> no no babies. babies were harmed in the making of right. this book. Exactly. So, but it's yeah. a really compelling read, a very fun ride. Um, very plausible, even though it is fantasy. So I oh, highly, I love highly, that. highly recommend it. Highly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yes. you. All right, so I wanted to update everyone on some cases that we've covered that have recently become very newsworthy. Um, hopefully, you've heard in the news that uh, in our we covered in our Psychic Eye Mysteries podcast episode 61, the murder of um, rapper Tupac Shakur. And according to the Associated Press, Dwayne Keffy D. Davis was arrested and charged with the murder for ordering the 1996 killing of uh, Tupac. The September 29th arrest marked the long-awaited breakthrough and one of hip-hop's most enduring mysteries. And while Davis isn't necessarily accused of being the gunman, he is described as the group's ringleader. And um, in Nevada, where the arrest was made, a person can be charged with a crime, including murder, if they help someone commit that crime. So they believe that Davis orchestrated, authorities believe that Davis orchestrated the plan that was carried out by the group of individuals, all of whom are now believed to be deceased with the exception of Davis. He himself has admitted in in, in interviews in, and in his 2019 tell-all memoir, Compton Street Legend, that he provided the gun used in the drive-by shooting. And he made these public statements as a result of his presumption that he had immunity, which he actually did not have uh, immunity for his role in Tupac's murder. So uh, the Nevada grand jury indicted him uh, on one count of murder with a deadly weapon, plus a charge for gang activity, which could add up to 20 years of additional time if he's convicted and he's due in court i think uh if not this week then next week so that's an, a case unfolding as as we speak um uh also uh our pem podcast episode 64 uh the the case uh, around suzanne morphew uh the case we just did who vanished yeah. on mother's day according <clears throat> to cnn on thursday september 28th colorado authorities announced that they had found the remains of Suzanne Marfew and. Um, her remains were discovered about 50 miles south from where she had been reported missing investigators came across her remains because they were searching the area for an investigation that was completely unrelated. So they, they basically stumbled upon her remains. Her husband, Barry Morphew has faced first degree murder charges, uh, in 2021 in connection with his wife's disappearance, but the trial, which was due to start, um, um, in April of 2022 was dismissed because prosecutors um, indicated that they were not prepared for trial at that point. Uh, and so they moved, they dismissed the case was dismissed with, without prejudice, meaning that they can bring the case. Against him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be retired. So that case is under an active investigation. And then, um, in our psychic eye mysteries, episode 62, where we covered the Titanic, um, and some other Hollywood stories, there's actually two updates from that, uh, episode, the Hollywood writer strike. According to the Associated Press, uh, the strike was declared over after five long months. Um, it was it was ended on September 26th, and uh, board members from the writers' union approved a contract agreement with the studios. So, everybody's headed back to work. The problem is, is that actors are still on strike and a lot of writers are saying that they're standing in unity with their fellow actors. So s- several writers are now free to start writing again as of uh, midnight, uh, September 27th. So you've seen some late night talk shows go back to work, um, but it's it remains to be seen kind of what's going to happen with SAG-AFTRA. And I, d- I didn't know if you had any comments you wanted to share about this particular story.
0: Well, you know, originally I had said it would be May before- everything was sort of, the dust was all settled and people would get back to work. Um, it's interesting that the strike was settled after five five months, May five, you know. Um, I still say that this is gonna drag on, I think, uh, into the holidays. Um, and then um, I know that October 1st was like a, a big deadline because <clears throat> they needed to have everybody back to work and working in order to uh, get shows out by like December. <clears throat> and then they usually after the holidays they would take like a hiatus until what february something like that Typically, so yeah yeah. so it has really upended everybody's schedule so it really might be kind of may before we start seeing some of these shows come back on i love that the writers pretty much got everything that they asked for i love that i'm just like over the moon for these guys because they are so underpaid um yes. and just abused you know just kind of honestly yeah. abused um, so, you know, let's hope that, um, the Actors Guild wins as well. And it's this whole AI angle, yeah, which I really want them to stand firm on because it's going to f- eventually affect my work as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Fabulous. Well, <clears throat> at least we can start to tune into some late night. Mm-hmm. uh and then the other case that we covered in that uh, episode 62 was michael orr uh, and according to entertainment tonight on september 29th his conservatorship was officially terminated um, and despite that termination his lawsuit regarding the potential royalties due to him from earnings by the Tui's based off of his name um is ongoing so the Tui's are next obligated to provide all of their financial records um that that kind of outline everything that's occurred financially since they became um connected to michael or and we'll see what comes of that case um that's yeah. going to continue to unfold so yeah if you're at all interested in hearing about these cases in detail please tune in to episode 61 64 or all of and them by all, and or 62
0: all of the <laughs> for sure please all right. tune into episode one then yeah. episode two then episode three then episode four. All right. Um, So speaking of
1: which, tuning in, I wanted to just ask before we jumped into today's case that if you are a fan, I and Victoria, both of us, we would greatly appreciate you sharing links with your friends, people that you think might enjoy the podcast, help us grow our audience base. It would mean a a tremendous amount to us if if we could expand um, our audience. So if you guys can help us out, that'd be amazing. Really
0: appreciate it. That really would. It really would. So subscribe hit the like button, pass the link on. Um, I know that's work um, and it is work, you know, because then you have to think of like, well, who do I know that might like this podcast? But um, that's how my books have gone. You know, it's been pretty much word of mouth because as you know, Sandy, I just don't market myself. Um, I know, but I'm going to start any minute now. Um, So uh, passing the word on would be just absolutely, really, really appreciated. And thank you to all of you who continually uh, tune in. Really, really appreciate your support. So. yes,
1: yes, for sure. All right. So we have kind of a Wiley case that actually is going to cover both today and our next podcast. um and it 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 surrounds <clears throat> the story about the Long Island serial killer. Um, who is considered to be the perpetrator of a series of 11 murders over the span of 15 years between 1996 and 2011. Most of the known victims were sex workers, many of whom had advertised their services on Craigslist. And due to their remains being discovered in Gilgo Beach along the south shore of Long Island, New York, these cases also have now become known as the Gilgo Beach murders. The first discovery of human remains was made by the side of Ocean Parkway in Oak Beach on, on December 11, 2010. The investigation was prompted by a search for a missing 24-year-old woman, Shannon Gilbert, who had disappeared in the area eight months earlier in May 2010 after fleeing from a client's home and making a 23-minute long 911 emergency call, stating that they are trying to kill me. A month after Shannon's disappearance, the Suffolk County Police Department's Missing Persons Bureau assigned Officer John Malia to search for Shannon with his trained cadaver dog, a German shepherd named Blue. Over the course of the summer of 2010, Officer Malia and Blue searched the gated Oak Beach community where Shannon had last been seen, but they were unable to turn up any leads. All that changed on December 11, 2010, when Officer Malia and Blue began yet another search— This time along the shoulder of Ocean Parkway because, according to the FBI, uh, dump dump bodies were frequently found close to roadways. So despite the the thick vegetation and a light layer of snow, Blue alerted to a scent, which the pair tracked to a disintegrating burlap bag containing a skeleton. The remains were later identified as Melissa Bartholomew's. While searching the scene for further evidence, police discovered three additional bodies, all wrapped in burlap and within approximately 500 feet of one another. These three additional victims were identified as Maureen Brainerd, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello. These four victims were subsequently dubbed the Gilgo Four. The first of the Gilgo Four victims was 24 year old Melissa Bartholomew, who was reported missing on July 12, 2009. The petite four foot 10, 95 pound young woman had been living in the Bronx and worked as a sex worker through Craigslist postings. On the night she disappeared, investigators know that she met with a client, deposited $900 into her bank account, and attempted to call her old boyfriend, but the call did not go through. A week after she vanished and for five weeks thereafter, Melissa's teenage sister, Amanda, received a total of eight vulgar, mocking, and insulting calls from Melissa's cell phone by a man who, among other things, asked Amanda if she was a whore like her sister. The calls became increasingly disturbing and eventually culminated with the caller claiming that melissa was dead and that he was going to watch her rot investigators suspected that the caller may have been melissa's killer and were unable to trace some of the calls to a, i'm sorry and they were able to trace uh, some of the calls to a handful of busy locations in midtown manhattan near the port authority the empire state building times square and madison square garden as well as to massapequa long island but they were unable to pinpoint who was actually placing these calls The second victim uh, recovered on December 11th was Maureen Brainerd Barnes, who was also a petite, four foot 11, 105 pound, 25 year old mother of two, who was living paycheck to paycheck in Norwich, Connecticut. To help pay the mortgage on her home after receiving an eviction notice, Maureen returned to earning money as a sex worker by securing her clients through Craigslist and frequenting a super eight motel in Manhattan. On July 9th, 2000, 2007 maureen made plans to spend the day in new york city and told a friend that she was planning on meeting a client outside of the motel but she never returned home maureen's family filed a missing persons report but when the police refused to take her case seriously her sister brother-in-law and brother rode their motorcycles into manhattan to search for her but they were unable to turn up any information shortly after her disappearance maureen's friend sarah carnes received a phone call from a man on an unfamiliar number The man claimed that he had just seen Maureen alive and well and living in a whorehouse in Queens. The man refused to identify himself and could not tell Sarah the location of the supposed brothel. After telling Sarah that he would call back with the address, he ended the call and not surprisingly, he never made contact again. Maureen's body was found on Gilgo Beach three and a half years after she disappeared. The third victim discovered on Gilgo Beach in December of 2010 was 22-year-old Megan Waterman, a mother of a four-year-old daughter, and she resided in South Portland, Maine. Like the other victims, Megan advertised on Craigslist as an escort. And on June 6, 2010, she disappeared from a Holiday Inn Express in Hopog, Long Island, 15 miles northeast of Gilgo Beach. The day before she vanished, Megan told her 20-year-old boyfriend that she was not she was going out and would call him later. The five-foot-five young woman's remains were discovered six months following her disappearance. 27-year-old Amber Lynn Costello, a sex worker and known heroin user, went missing on September 2, 2010 from her West Babylon, New York home, which was 10 miles north of Gilgal Beach. On that September evening, Amber left uh, the house to meet a stranger who had called her several times and offered her $1,500 for her service, says six times the usual rate. After refusing to meet her client at the Håpåg Holiday Inn Express, which was the same hotel that Megan Waterman disappeared from, and yet unable to turn that kind of a payday down, Amber finally agreed to go to her client's location, which was an unusual thing for her to do. Sadly, Amber was not immediately reported as missing because her family thought that she was recovering in a residential drug rehab center and therefore couldn't respond to messages and phone calls. Like the other victims discovered along Gilgal Beach, Amber was a four, foot 11, uh, t- four feet 11 and weighed approximately 100 pounds. Between March 29th and April 4th, 2011, four more sets of remains were discovered in another area along Ocean Parkway near Oak Beach and Gilgal Beach. These newly discovered victims were to the east within two miles of the December 2010 Gilgal 4 discovery. Police concluded that all these victims predated the Gilgal 4 murders. The first set of human remains discovered on March 29th included a skull, a pair of hands, and a forearm, which belonged to 20-year-old Jessica Taylor. Jessica went missing on July 21st, 2003, and like her fellow victims, she worked in Washington, D.C. and Manhattan as a sex worker. She was last seen between July 18th and July 22nd, 2003, working around the Manhattan Port Authority bus terminal. On July 26, 2003, which was five days after she had disappeared, her naked and dismembered torso was discovered atop a scrap wood pile at the end of a paved access road off of Halsley Manor Road in Manorville, a Long Island town, 45 miles east of Gilgo Beach. A a tattoo on her body had been mutilated with a sharp instrument. On April 4, 2011, another set of partial remains, a skull, right foot, and hands were unearthed on Gilgo Beach. The right foot had been cut off high above the ankle, possibly to conceal an identifying mark or tattoo. On May 28, 2020, using DNA technology, police determined that the partial remains belonged to Valerie Mack, who also went by the name Melissa Taylor. She had been living in Philadelphia and working as an escort when she went missing in 2000. Her family reported that Valerie had last been seen in the spring or summer of 2000 in the area of Port Republic, New Jersey. Similarly to the other Gilgo Beach victims, Valerie was small in stature, approximately five feet tall and weighed 100 pounds. Like Jessica Taylor, Valerie Max Torso was discovered in Manorville on November 19, 2000, Wrapped in a garbage bag and dumped in the woods near the intersection of Halsey Manor Road and Mill Road near a power line access road. Because the dismembered remains of Valerie Mack and Jessica Taylor were both disposed of in a similar manner and in the same parts of Manorville and Gilgo Beach, police suspected their murders were committed by the same person. Also during the April 4, 2011 police search of Gilgo Beach, two unidentified victims were recovered. Police located a skull inside a plastic bag discarded near Jones Beach State Park, and DNA testing revealed that the remains belonged to an unidentified young African-American woman whose dismembered torso was discovered at Hempstead Lake State Park in Lakeview, New York, on June 28, 1997. Her body was found in a plastic Rubbermaid container, which was dumped next to a road along the west side of the lake. Authorities dubbed the victim Peaches because she had a tattoo on her left breast, of a heart-shaped peach with a bite out of it and two drips falling from its core. Also uncovered during the April 4th, 2011 search, about 250 feet from the remains of Valerie Mack was the skeleton of a female toddler aged between 16 and 24 months. The little girl's body was wrapped in a blanket and showed no visible signs of trauma. DNA tests later determined that the toddler who was wearing gold earrings and a necklace was the daughter of Peaches, whose body was found 10 miles east near Jones Beach State Park. The true identity of these two victims remains a mystery. Suffolk police subsequently expanded the search area up to the Nassau County border looking for more victims, and on a- April 11, 2011, investigators found two more sets of remains about a mile apart and approximately five miles west of Gilgo, the Gilgo 4 location. On Tobey Beach, police recovered a skull and several teeth, which were determined through DNA testing to belong to 34-year-old Karen v- Vertega who disappeared in 1996 while working as a sex worker. Fifteen years early, earlier, Karen's severed legs were found in a garbage bag on Fire Island on April 20, 1996. Karen was also known to authorities as Fire Island Jane Doe until DNA testing in 2023 revealed her identity. The other body unearthed on, on April 11, 2011 was that of a young Asian male who died from blunt force trauma to the head. The victim, discovered very close to the bodies of the Gilgo Four, was between 17 and 23 years of age and 5 feet 6 inches tall. He was dressed in women's clothing and may have been a transgender woman. Authorities estimate the victim may have been dead between 5 and 10 years, and that the identity of that victim is unknown. Almost a year after the Gilgo Four were discovered, the remains of Sheehan Gilbert, the missing woman who prompted the Gilgo Beach murder investigation, were finally recovered. However, police do not believe Shannon was a victim of the Long Island serial killer. Her cause of death remains contested, with police claiming that it was an accidental drowning, while an independent autopsy determined possible strangulation. We will uh, dive into Shannon's case next week in next week's podcast. There are a couple of suspects that have been named in these series of murders. On January 16, 2020, Suffolk County Police Commissioner Geraldine Hart released images of a belt found during the initial investigation near Ocean Parkway in Gilgal Beach with the letters H-M or W-H, depending on which way you oriented the belt, which were embossed in black letter. Police believe that the belt was handled by the perpetrator and that it did not belong to any of the victims. On July 13, 2023, 59-year-old architect Rex Howerman, a resident of Massapequa Park in Long Island, was arrested in Midtown Manhattan outside of his office. R. H. Consulting and Associates, and he was charged with three counts of first-degree murder and three counts of second-degree murder in the deaths of the three of the Gilgo Four victims: Ms. Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello. He was also named as a prime suspect in the murder of the fourth of the Gilgo Four, Maureen Brainard Barnes. The investigation into Maureen's murder is ongoing. He pled not guilty at his arraignment and remains in police custody. A pretrial pretrial hearing is scheduled for the end of. Uh, September 2023, uh, Howerman's attorney Michael J. Brown has maintained that the case against his client is largely circumstantial. He told the media the only thing he did say as he was in tears was, I didn't do this. He's distraught. He's clearly distraught about these charges. The Suffolk County District Attorney Raymond Tierney countered that the 13 year investigation uh, into the evidence against Rex Howerman includes 2,500 pages of documents, crime scene photoga- photographs, autopsy reports, and hundreds of hours of video footage taken at his Massapequa Park home and New York City office. Further, Howerman came to be known to the Gilgo Beach Task Force in March of 2022, and from there, a secret grand jury was utilized to secure more than 300 subpoenas and search warrants. Tierney also confirmed that the Gilgo Four crime scenes had commonalities. The victims were bound at the head, midsection, and legs by camouflage burlap. Authorities believe Howerman contacted his victims using burner phones, which were then discarded shortly after he killed each victim. The burner forms were tracked to Massapequa, which placed the user of the phones in that area during the time of the slayings. He was also linked to one of the cell phones on a surveillance video that showed him purchasing additional minutes for the device at a store in Midtown Manhattan. Additional key evidence includes a witness reported seeing a first-generation Chevrolet Avalanche pull up to Amber Costello's West Babylon, Long Island home around the time she was last seen on September 2nd, 2010. The same type of pickup truck down to the make and early model was later determined to be registered to Howerman. According to court documents, Howerman conducted more than 200 online searches between March 2022 and June 2023, including, quote, why would. Why Could Law Enforcement Not Trace the Calls Made by the Long Island Serial Killer, Unsolved Serial Killer Cases, Inside the Long Island Serial Killer, and Gilgo Beach, as well as the names of Maureen Brainard-Barnes, Melissa Bartholomew, and Megan Waterman. He also searched for podcasts and documentaries relating to the mystery and reviewed hundreds of online photos of his alleged victims and their families. DNA taken from the discarded pizza also allegedly tied, Howerman to a male hair, hair fiber that was found on the burlap material used to wrap Megan Waterman. Additionally, hair belonging to a female was found on or near the three three of the victims, and it was later determined that that hair fire belonged to Howerman's wife, Asa Ellerup. Asa, who was out of state during the times Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello disappeared, led investigators to conclude that the burlap tape um, vehicles and other instrumentalities used in the furtherance of these murders came from the defendant Howerman's residence, where his wife also resides, or was transferred from his clothing. The ramshackle Massapequa home that Howerman shared with his wife Asa, his stepson Christopher Sheridan, and his daughter Victoria was overrun by authorities armed with a search warrant on the day of Howerman's arrest. While the police are not releasing any any information about what items items recovered from the Howerman home, they have stated that they recovered a cache of more than 200 guns in a vault inside the home. Investigators are still trying to determine whether the weapons belong to Rex Harriman are legally registered and are legally registered as he's only been issued 92 gun permits. Shortly after being charged as a suspect in the guild for murders, Asa Otherup, Harriman's wife of more than 25 years, retained, a ca- retained counsel and pro- promptly filed for divorce. John Bitteroff. In July of 2017, 57-year-old John Bitteroff was sentenced to serve 50 years to life in prison for a second-degree murder of Rita Tangretti and Colleen McNamee. He is also a suspect in the murder of a third woman, Sandra Casilla. Sandra's body was discovered on November 20, 1993. Rita Tangredi, a known sex worker, was last seen hitchhiking along Montauk Highway, East of County Road 101 uh, in Suffolk County, New York, on November 1st, 1993. She was found dead the next day in a wooded area off Esplanade Drive in East P- Patchogue. She had been beaten and strangled, and her naked body was found in a unique pose. 20-year-old Colleen McNamee, also a sex worker, was last seen on January 5, 1994, getting into a small blue car outside of the Blue Dawn Diner in Islandia, New York. Her body was discovered in the woods near Express Drive South off the William Floyd Parkway in Shirley, New York, on January 30, 1994. Like Rita, she was also found naked and in a unique pose and had been beaten and strangled to death. After Bitteroff's sentence, prosecuting attorney Robert B- Bionca- Kavilia, sorry, stated that Bitteroff was also a suspect in at least one of the 10 murders attributed to the Long Island serial killer in New York, Suffice, Suffolk, and Nassau counties, and that the investigation is ongoing. Authorities are focusing on the cases of Jessica Taylor and Valerie Mack, as Bitteroff was a carpenter who lived in Manerville, where the torsos of the two victims were recovered, the remains were roughly three miles away from Bitteroff's home. Coincidentally, the daughter of Rita Tangredi Ten- was reportedly best friends with Melissa Bartholomew, one of the first victims discovered at Gilgo Beach. Melissa's mother had reported that Melissa had a lot of calls to Manerville from her phone at the time of her disappearance. Sadly, at the time of all these victims' disappearances, most of these women were reduced to a single dimension by their profession as prostitutes, which made the police reluctant to take their cases seriously and look for these victims when they vanished. Only when a number of bodies were recovered along the remote area of Gilgal Beach did investigators recognize they had a big problem. It wasn't until December of 2015 that the FBI actually became involved in the investigation. And their delayed participation was due to police chief James Burke, who blocked the FBI from joining the investigation for years. Burke was ultimately indicted for civil rights violations and conspiracy, and in November of 2016, he was sentenced to serve 46 months in federal prison for assault and conspiracy. There are nine additional people, including Shannon Marie Gilbert, that authorities have yet to determine if, in fact, they were victims of the Long Island serial killer, and we're going to discuss those cases uh, during next week's podcast. My sources for this story include Wikipedia, The Gilgo Beach Murders, CBS News 48 Hours, Was Rex Harriman's Wife Sleeping Next to the Long Island Serial Killer by Rich Fetzer, September 17, 2023? NBC News, Gilgo Beach Murders, A Demon That Walks Amongst Us, Charged in Long Island Serial Killings by Jonathan Deinst, Greg Sergal, Tom Winter, and Corky Seismetko july 14 2023 nbc news against gilgo evidence against gilgo be suspect includes surveillance videos and 2500 pages of documents prosecutors say by Daniela silva august 1st 2023 nbc news gilgo suspect has more than 200 guns in his vault at home police say by mini mini Vion bark july 18 2023 the New York Post, the most damning evidence Linking Rex Humor to the Gilgo Beach murders, Chevy truck burner phones, sick Google searches by Lisa Eustrich, July 14th, 2023, CBS News 48 Hours, 40 Hours, uncovers missing escort Shannon Gilbert's final minutes, July 14th, 2023, Wikipedia, John Bitteroff, CBS News, New York, Long Island father on trial and decade-old mu- murders of two, prostit- to- <sighs> of two prostitutes by Carolyn Gustav, May 3rd, 2017. I'm done talking.
0: <laughs> so, I thought you were doing great. I mean, uh, this was a, a complicated case with a lot of uh, difficult-to-pronounce locations and names. Yes. And I thought you did a, an excellent job, Sans.
1: I hope everybody was so, able to follow along because it is kind of a wily case.
0: It so. it really is because um, the Long Island serial killer has been attributed to a whole bunch of murders with different modus operandi, different characteristics, you know, some women being dismembered, um, torsos found, you know, it's, it it's wily because I think that the Gilgo beach area, that area is kind of a dumping ground, you know, um, easy access. It's a stretch of highway where there are no houses from what I've seen from the aerial map. And, um, I kind of suspect that on the right side of the highway where all of the bodies were found, it can get a little marshy. That's my suspicion. It is. Yes. So when we were discussing this case, I was like, well, Rex Her- 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 Howerman is beyond guilty. Like it's just I, you know, and I love kind of how his defense attorney is, well, the case is all circumstantial. Okay, most murders are circumstantial, yeah. you know, like most of them, unless the guy's standing over the body with a knife, you know, going like, yep, I did it mm-hmm. and is covered in blood it's pretty much circumstantial. Yes. So um, that doesn't mean that the defense, or excuse me, the prosecution's prosecution's case is weak. It's not. So I think when I'm looking at this intuitively, when I'm looking at the case against Rex, um, intuitively, it's rock solid. Like they have put a fantastic case together. And even just some of the details that they've been leaking out, I think that there's still more evidence that's like wow okay he totally did this um so i think he's going down but the interesting thing we were you and i were having a conversation and um i used to for several years i dated an architect and one of the things that my old boyfriend wanted to do was he wanted to build on a marsh <clears throat> there was an, a a lot in the neighborhood where i lived that he wanted to purchase and then you know, build this because it was a challenge. So he wanted to build a house basically on a March and he had to, he was going to have to account for um, the level of sinking and sink pylons in. And like, it was this whole thing, right. And he had spent a lot of time doing the math, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So terrain is something that architects absolutely have to take into account. And so when you have an area with specific terrain, like at Gilgal beach, dumping these bodies in that kind of an environment that was probably on the marshy side, probably. I don't know that for certain, but it's given the vegetation, it looks like it was somewhat marshy. Yeah. Um, and the fact that there are no houses around, that's not an area where you go walking, right? Yeah. Well, it's um, also an area it's not going to be developed. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, because of the terrain. Yeah. So, um, and no one's going to complain about the, the bad smell because you expect the beach to smell, you know, yeah. rotting fish constantly. So it was, it's sort of the perfect area to dump bodies, honestly. And, you know, as awful as that sound, that's, that's sort of, if you want someone to kind of disappear, that's where you dump the body. It's like in Florida, you know, if you want someone to disappear, you just go to the Everglades and yeah. the crocodiles, you know, or excuse me, the alligators take care of it. Um, so, uh, he had this plotted out, but he was obviously his ego kept getting ahead of him, right? He thought he was much smarter than the police, et cetera, et cetera. So he kept taking these risks by calling, um, relatives of the deceased, um, and, uh, doing the online searches, you know, like everybody knows, go to the library to do that shit. (laughs) <laughs> don't do it from your home, you know? Can you stop um, giving
1: people hints on how to get away with murder, please? Thank you.
0: Sandy, this stuff goes into books. Like I spent a lot of time thinking about how, um, someone can get away with murder and then how that person who thinks they've gotten away with murder is ultimately found out. So like, this is, this is my job. My job is actually literally to think of ways, um, to devise ways to get away with murder, but not quite so um so i wouldn't have if i had written something similar like this and had rex Howerman as the villain i certainly wouldn't have him doing so many stupid things i wouldn't have him searching you know (laughs) at home online right i wouldn't have him calling the victim's family yeah um because it's just you know my readers would be like come on he's not caught you know so um yeah and even, you know, something that keeps standing out to me is that he he was wrapping um his victims in the cap in the camouflage burlap. So, like I said, architects are kind of preoccupied with terrain because they always want to put a building on the terrain that goes with it. Yeah. You know, otherwise it becomes an eyesore. So the landscape is something that they spend a lot of time considering, a lot of time considering. And so they're they're very familiar with shrubbery, landscaping, all of that stuff. And the camouflage burlap just kept coming back to me like that was something specific enough that he specifically wanted to use it because he had been considering it in other projects. Like that just, I don't know if that's true, but that's what my intuition was saying, like he had thought, oh, I will use that burlap because I've seen it used in this project. And the camouflage makes the burlap kind of disappear. So that's my that's my theory. So he's a hundred percent guilty. I, I see him going away for the rest of his life. Um, and uh, you know, it's just what a horrible human being, six foot five, and he was yeah. he's choosing victims that are 4'11, you know. Um just so that he could absolutely make sure that he could overpower them. Um, horrible human being. I really hope that they throw him in jail and throw away the key. So at um, the moment,
1: I'm just curious, At the moment he's accused of Melissa Bartholomew Maureen. Three,
0: right? Three out of the four, yeah. I think he, I think he did five. I really think he's responsible for five. I think there's one more victim Um, because I just keep seeing the number five associated with his energy in this case. That hasn't been recovered yet, potentially? Yeah, that's my thinking. My thinking is that, um, and I don't know that he dumped the first victim at Gilgo. I have a feeling he dumped the first victim somewhere else, Ah. and that there are enough similarities between the two that eventually they'll connect them. But I don't know at that point if there will be enough evidence to try him for... I mean, once he goes to jail forever for these three murders um prosecutors are kind of reluctant to charge someone again with murder because trials are very very expensive so if he's already you know serving time for life for those three murders they might just say okay so we are we think that he's responsible for this other murder but i don't know that he'll be tried for all five it just doesn't feel like that it feels like he'll be tried for three and that'll be satisfactory that'll be good enough for from a prosecutorial standpoint um the other egregious thing is the police chief james Burke, who kept the fbi out and he kept the fbi out not because he had animosity with the fbi because he didn't want the fbi poking around in his business which was corrupt yeah and then sandy i don't know if you know this but i looked him up and he has just been charged in a sex ring um uh, cons- uh, conspiracy. So he was just charged with a sex crime. Um, so he's back in court, and he'll go back to jail. He's just—he's just a shit, just a wow. pile of shit asshole. Um, as for the other murders, um, that's—it's just really John uh, Bitroff I think is probably responsible for a couple of them, uh-huh. but there's a feeling like the Long Island serial killer is sort of a combination of bodies they've identified as standing out um, without an obvious um, culprit, so to speak, Mm -hmm. right? Not a boyfriend, not a relative, not, you know, getting lumped into exactly, you know, something domestic. Right. So I kind of think that that area has been a good dumping ground because it's fairly remote yet easy to get to. Not a lot of people are walking around to find shit. And, um, uh, you know, you can kind of, you can literally, I guess, get away with murder if you dump the bodies there. So, next week's case, I can't wait to dive in a little bit deeper uh, into some of these cases to look at the suspects then, because I think that there are multiple killers here. Multiple. Yeah. So, I think there's at least three or four.
1: I think John Bitteroff is responsible for Jessica Taylor and Valerie Mack murders. Yes. Yeah. Um it it fits kind of where he resided, it fits like his mm-hmm. motive. Yep. Um so we know about two, and we know that that what what I can't quite figure out is Melissa Bartholomew, who is her, is it
0: yeah. So she's the best friends with Melissa Bartholomew, one of the first victims discovered on Gilgo Beach. Right. So was yeah. she connected to John Bitteroff or was she a victim of someone else? No, I That's think the... she,
1: well, she, so Howerman has been charged with Melissa's murder. Right. The one that he hasn't been charged with is Maureen Brainerd Barnes. So right. they, I guess they don't have enough evidence. And if there is a fifth victim, that would make sense that that would be the five, the, the Gilgal four plus one more. Right. Um. I Maybe it's coincidental that Melissa- was best friends with a victim of John Bitteroff. I, I
0: right. don't know. You know. Well they both um weren't they both sex workers? Yes. So <clears throat> these are very dangerous, very dangerous occupations. Yeah. Like exceptionally dangerous because they're easy targets and the yeah. police don't give a fuck. That's um, true. you know and that and to your point that they've been reduced to one dimension, that's true. And I, mm-hmm. I just think it's horrible. I just think it's horrible that we reduce women to constantly. We're reduced to, you know, this idea of a shameful prof- profession. When truly, these women are just trying to earn money. <laughs> That's to, live, to live, to live. They've take been, care, you know, families. locked out of other ways to earn money. Yeah, and um, you don't go into sex work like. Yay! Can't wait to get into sex work because it's so exciting. I can't wait to have a three hundred pound fat man, sweaty fat man, sitting on top of me. You know, like, like this is a sort of a last resort. Yeah, for sure. um, We treat them as if they're scum, and they're not. They are victims.
1: They they had families. They people had loved them. Absolutely.
0: They were, were, you
1: know, some were mothers. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Um, And one was the toddler. Peaches. Peaches.
0: really disturbs me that really upsets me
1: so do you think that's a do you think that they'll dis- discover who she is and who
0: I do honestly okay. I do think that they um there's a feeling like her name's like right there but mm-hmm. it hasn't been revealed yet um so hopefully with enough attention to the peach tattoo someone will say wow that sounds like so-and so who disappeared blank okay. so the fact that her daughter it was it her daughter yeah with this daughter um was female toddler 16 to 24 months so yeah under 250 feet away yeah with no physical signs of trauma on the one hand you're like okay she didn't suffer a beating or blows or maybe strangulation on the other hand did he just dump her and leave her and did she die of exposure Mm -hmm. you know like there's no good way to look at that Um just awful. Yeah. awful,
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, uh, good, good news. <clears throat> the Gilgo four mm-hmm. culprit has been caught. Mm-hmm. Is facing life in prison, if not worse. worse. Um, yep. so his Probably life's over. Key. Yeah. John Bitterop is already in jail. Good. Um, and hopefully they will make a, a stronger case just to bring closure to Jessica Taylor and Valerie Max. Yeah. Murders. I have
0: a feeling that both of them will be convicted. I just don't, there isn't a sense that justice won't be served with either one of them.
1: Okay. Well, that's good. Um, and so, as we said, next next week we'll spend time talking about uh, Shannon Marie Gilbert and some of the other outstanding cases relating to people that have been discovered in and around the area of Gilgal beach. Right. Right. But for now uh, after a very long podcast, yay um sorry for the delays we're doing our best (laughs) um but if again like we asked midpoint if you can help us grow our audience we'd be eternally grateful um it would keep us motivated keep us keep us engaged keep us dedicated to doing this not that that's a threat it's just it would be more motivating to us
0: (laughs) recommend us or we're off (laughs) we're out of here
1: get some eggs Um, but anyway, (laughs) uh, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please click the like button, share with your friends, subscribe, subscribe, leave us a
0: comment. That's kind, kind comments, I know, thoughtful (laughs) comments would be great. Yeah.
1: Um, and if you'd like anyone who
0: says Victoria, I love your books, but, uh, I'm not reading the rest of that. Bye. Delete. Anyway,
1: (laughs) uh, if you'd like to learn more about my sister and her books and, or, her book to book a reading or her patreon page or her newsletter or i don't know all the other
0: stuff that i'm involved in right it's all there it's just one place where you can find all of the information so
1: absolutely and um you know please feel free to leave us a comment uh on facebook both on victoria's fan page as well as the ridiculous page i tried to put up for it's not
0: ridiculous it's a podcast we're redoing it we're just you know we are both completely overwhelmed with the other responsibilities that we have in our lives going on, which is, I think, what is motivating us to say, hey, guys, you know, if you could share and grow the audience, then it really does help us go, okay, this is worth all of the time, effort and energy away from all of this other stuff that we have as responsibilities. So um, we just, we're just asking, really, just to grow the audience. That's really all we're asking. So keep us in the game, basically. Because yeah. I hear from you guys all the time. I read for a lot of you. You're like, I love your podcasts. And that's fantastic. But um, we need the numbers to kind of start popping. So,
1: Okay. So with that, we will look forward to diving into the second half of this story and uh, our next podcast. In the meantime, thank you so very much for tuning in, for your support, for your uh, efforts on our behalf. We genuinely and greatly
0: appreciate it. Yes, definitely, definitely. All right, Sans, you did a great job as usual. Love you. Thank you. Love you lots.
1: Love you too. Thank you so much for your comments. You're welcome. Bye, everyone.